0: Started Life. Entrepreneurship. Innovation. Welkom bij de Started at KBC podcast. Hallo en welkom bij de podcast van Started KBC. Vandaag gaan we het hebben over een heel actueel topic, namelijk Brexit. En aangezien ik niet alleen Pieter van Planner bij mij heb, maar ook Anna Tomlinson, Managing Director van Started KBC, die Engelstalig is, zullen we deze podcast in het Engels doen. Enjoy! Welcome, both of you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Maybe you can start by introducing yourself.
1: Well, I'll go first. So, um, I'm Piet- hi, my name is Peter Murmans. I'm the co-founder and CEO of planner.eu. And basically, we are a software company that facilitates the entire process of relocation. So we help expats and responsibles, HR, um, to deal with the entire process of relocation.
2: And I'm Anna Tomlinson. I'm the Managing Director at Star KBC. ABC. We are the biggest accelerator program to support startups in Belgium. We've been going for five years. We support all sectors. And yes, from the accent, I'm British. I've been here for about two years. So uh, hopefully I can contribute a little bit to today's topic.
0: Okay, so um, tell me, Anna, what do you believe are the biggest implications of Brexit for, uh, for both Belgian startups looking to expand to the United Kingdom market and UK startups expanding to Belgium?
2: So I think um, we'll have to split up the two because it's different for UK startups coming here and Belton startups going the other way. But there's a common theme for both sides. And that theme is uncertainty. For most founders, there's enough uncertainty in trying to run a business without trying to have to also completely not know if you're going to expand to the market next door. Are you going to have to pay certain taxes? Are you going to have to do HR things that you don't do right now? So both get to share in in that, because we don't know what Brexit looks like yet, really. Um, But let's go into the practicals for Belgian startups going to the UK. um, There's a lot that's said so far about how there's going to be a maintaining of similar things uh, to how they are now, but there's a good chance that trying to employ people in the UK will look different to how it does now, particularly if you want to send your people from here to there um and good chance that if you are shipping goods it's going to be more expensive um you
0: mean for belgium startups
2: yeah uh, because they'll probably have to be paying import taxes as they go um, but if you're a, a startup that's doing tech hr is pretty much the only thing that you should be looking out for and there may be some certain
0: regulatory
2: things that change hr like how uh like um yeah having to Go and sort out. Are you going to have to get a visa for someone, which I'm sure Peter can talk about this bit
1: (laughs) for hours?
2: (laughs) Because right now, obviously, you can get up um, from either side and move to the other side, no work permit required. Like, I didn't have to do anything other than just turn up for my first day of work when I turned up here. Um, but Brexit will probably mean you need a visa, it will probably mean that, um, You need to go through a whole load more paperwork at an embassy in order to actually register that you're working there and go through different levels of visas. The longer that you've been there, and an employer will probably be taking that on. For if you're saying right, you're the salesperson, you're going to go open up the UK. You're still
0: you're you're still talking about an uh, a Belgian employer hiring a UK employee or the other way around?
2: I'm talking about a Belgian employer who might be hiring one of their own Belgian employees in the UK because. That's most often what happens is we see people saying, uh, I'm going to send one of my team to a market to open it up. If you're a UK employee, um, yeah, for a Belgian startup, not much is going to change if you're hiring that person.
1: Yeah, but again, if you're a Belgian startup going to the UK, then you'd probably need some talent. And the chances of that being international talent is is fairly, very high. Uh, But for international, it will you know, be increasingly difficult to come to the UK compared to before the Brexit. Because after Brexit, there's also different permits, different work permits uh, in in that direction. So um, yeah, I I definitely think on that level as well, finding the talent, um, you already see it in the numbers. There's less expats, less international talent going to the UK, uh, especially from the big countries in Europe, uh, Germany, Belgium, well, Belgium is not a big country, but (laughs) it's in the center. Um, France, all, all the numbers are decreasing. So it's likely that there will be less international talent uh, to be found in London.
2: Yeah. And if there's less international talent, then you're more likely to send your own people because you're going to need the people who have that uh, connections have been able to sell across different cultures rather than just hiring someone who's a Brit who doesn't know the rest of how your market is working. If you're a startup that is expanding and internationalizing, you're probably not doing that just to the UK.
0: Well, is, yeah. that, is that bad? Having to send your own people?
2: No, it's just the extra work that as a founder that you'd have to be taking on, which you don't have to do right now. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is in the other way around. Um, It's probably that the founders will have to be, if they're hiring someone who's coming from the UK uh, to Belgium to open up a market, that that British founder would have to be going through extra visa activities to be able to hire someone. to, yeah, as as one of their own to work in Belgium.
0: Okay. Um, so, um, from your perspective, Peter, uh, what do you think are the biggest implications?
1: Biggest implications? Well, there there's there's a few. Um, like Anna already said, you know, you don't want to add on uncertainty, and the Brexit just adds uncertainty. Both if you go to the UK, you don't know what's awaiting you. Um, but also on an on a market perspective, I mean, we're long due for the, uh, for the next economical crisis. Nobody likes crisis, um, <laughs> startups don't like them either. Um, so it, you already feel it uh, when talking to some investors as well, they await some sort of uh, crisis and a Brexit might be one of the elements that contributes to that. So that's maybe one aspect. Um, there's of course the, the whole talent issue and you know the UK in the end is sort of the gateway uh, for startups towards the US, or at least that's my feeling. I mean, previously it was the only English speaking country in Europe, uh, which is a big benefit for a lot of startups because a lot of startups um, already have their translations ready in English or start out in English. We actually never made any Dutch or French um, website or content before. So everything is already in English. Everything is already to scale. Well, um, I
0: think, sorry to interrupt you, but I think the, the, uh, the first step that you mentioning uh, that the UK is the first step to expansion towards the US. Uh, it's very interesting, do you think like lots of startups will now start skipping UK because they think uh, going straight to the US is a better, a better way?
2: I think there's a chance of that because I've certainly had conversations uh, with startups about that. Um, I don't think it's the right thing to do um, because the UK is the fifth biggest market in the world. It's not going to stop being right up at the top even after Brexit. Um, And I know from experience, because I used to work in an American company in the UK, how similar culturally the sales uh, way is between the UK and the US. So it's not even that it's an English speaking location, but that you are training yourself in how to do your sales and your business more in the right direction for when you go to the US, when you hit the UK. And it's like a leveling up, if you like. (laughs)
0: So how do you think startups can overcome this uh, particular challenge?
1: Um, Well, (laughs) um, definitely partnering up with local, um, talking to other startups in in, in UK would be definitely a a start and I already see that the British government is doing its best. I mean, uh, to some extent to make it as easy as possible. Uh, If you look at the documentation that's out there, there are um, several ways for startups to, to enter uh, the UK and having to deal with less of the paperwork compared to any other individual coming to UK. So th- there's already some work put in motion by the government themselves um, to make it easier, but um, you know, it's still a matter of being prepared, um, knowing what's ahead. And I guess that's one of the biggest issues right now. We still don't know what's ahead. Well, we're getting a clearer and clearer picture each time But there's still a big uncertainty about the uncertainty. I mean, it's only after the Brexit passes that you can have at least some ease of mind, know what's ahead. Uh, And up until that point, it's just one big um, gray area. Um, You don't know what you expect. Yes.
2: I think just on that there, we've... um... In Startup, we've tried to help address this by reaching out to two organizations called the BLCC, that stands for the Belgium Luxembourg Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I jumped to it already. And uh, and KBC London, because these two organizations are really trying to be as at the front of the market of getting holder information as they can be and keeping closely in touch with lawyers and accountants so that as little bits of information do get confirmed that this is what the next part of Brexit will look like, they're seeking the expertise to skill up to then be able to advise businesses. Um, as you say, it's about preparation and knowing that those organizations exist, not not avoiding it just because you don't know, but just still make sure that market is, is on your timeline.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also a matter of knowing which organizations to talk to because there's so much information out there on Brexit. But the thing with Brexit so far is every time the deadline passes, almost immediately everything that was written before uh, becomes obsolete or at least a big part of it. So if you start googling about Brexit, you'll you know find a lot of podcasts that But are there's maybe, different
0: information out there. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's hard to know what to believe.
1: Yeah, nope. and I think it's really important to know the right channels and, and look more to the governmental websites and uh, organizations like the BCL. <laughs> BLCC. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, because there's a lot of things that have been written that just change so rapidly. Um, yeah.
2: And I think also part of the reason why there's so much different information out there is because right now there are very few answers about what Brexit will actually look like. Um, when you think about the agreement that just happened um, in October this year, all it managed to decide is that there is going to be some kind of line in the sea between Ireland and the, and the mainland, um, that there will be some import taxes, which frankly, we all knew, um, and that there will be some visa control, which again, we all knew. But there's huge amounts. I mean, it's like only 5% of the overall regulation that might change has been decided. So. Anyone, any other information that you're hearing of, um, it will look like this, is mostly actually just people turning speculation into what they think is (laughs) truth. Don't we love that topic?
0: Do you think that's why uh, Brexit is causing, I mean, considerable concern amongst most startups and scale-ups? Yeah, I think uncertainty, trying to, anyone who's trying to
2: scale a business wants to know um, how they can plan, wants to be able to tell their investors what they're planning towards, what they're planning to spend um, and all of those normal behaviors you can't do when you've got, as I said something like ninety five percent of the decisions are still waiting to be mm. made um, anything that's industry specific hasn't been laid out yet If you're in the aviation sector, um, there's enormous amounts to be uh, that's waited on if you're in the energy sector, there's enormous amounts that they're still still waiting on um so yeah, it, it's a considerable concern if you are a startup that's looking at the market next door to you, particularly for a scale up. You thought that the UK would be on your horizon. Um, you'd put that in your investment plan, and now what do you do with it? If you walk into it, it's a big unknown cost.
1: Yeah, it's, it's London is just the biggest startup hub, so it, it just pops up on your radar for any European startup, I guess. Um, so not being able to go there or not being sure that you're going to go there doesn't really appeal to a lot of startups
0: and um well it probably doesn't help that the uh brexit keeps being postponed i assume certainly for some industries it's a massive problem then what industries are you talking about exactly um
2: the auto industry is a really good example the the car industry okay um so uh the car industry is written about a lot in the british press right now because um they work on this concept of um just-in-time delivery that you never really have warehousing you just always bring goods in for that moment to start turning them around and moving them straight back out of the warehouse as soon as the it's uh, the operation of putting them together has been done and um when you've got things like unknown import taxes and unknown how long the queues will be at Dover and at Calais, the car industry has decided it will stockpile uh, and just uh, have moments where it stops the entire production waiting for, like they did this on the the, the last few days of October thinking that the last Brexit would be on the 31st of October. And so they literally stopped these factories that haven't stopped in years, possibly decades, um, just trying to time the cost uh that they're likely to get hit as things start slowing down and then it never happened and this is the second time no the third time even that this this has happened to them so can you imagine the cost of those poor uh company owners who are based around that you never usually have this emergency procedure happen to them and they've had it happen three times in one year
1: yeah i i know from my own sector as well i mean there there's an enormous flood of certain questions that are you know just because there are so many unknowns for British expats in Belgium, but also expats going to the UK. Um, you know, those questions get redirected to service providers in the in the relocation industry. So, um, you know, and the thing that you need to tell them then is, well, we don't know either for some things because we don't know because we asked the government and they don't know. So um, it's caused a lot of requests, a lot of uh, people also taking measures to ensure that they'll be able to stay in Belgium or stay in UK. Um, I think it was one in six um, British expats in Belgium has now gained the Belgian citizenship or at least requested it since Brexit was passed. That's an increase, that's a tenfold increase if you compare it to a similar period before that. So th- there's been this enormous, shi- enormous shift in, in the market. Um, if you look at the streams of expats as well, uh, the outgoing streams of expats going coming back home from the UK has increased with 50% while expats coming to the UK from mainland Europe, it has decreased by 30%. So you you definitely see a lot of shifts on the market. And if you are a relocation service provider that focuses on one of those niches, well then you have either (laughs) scored a big ticket or (laughs) you're losing some business. So um, definitely the impact is not to be underestimated. And each time that line passes, we also see that there are these Floods of British people in Brussels, for example, trying to get their driving license exchanged for the Belgian one because after Brexit it will become more difficult. But you know, we had this first rush for driver's licenses. I think it was end of February, um, and now we're Always already. One of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, it, it definitely impacts a lot of people. Uh, definitely the expats and 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 uh, the relocation sector. Um, yeah. So we're looking forward to...
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Um, Are some of us, I mean, to what extent are some of us overrating the estimated impact of Brexit?
2: Yeah, I think while we don't know what the final conclusion is going to be, it's really difficult to answer whether we're overestimating it. If it never really goes as far as it could do, which is to really change away from all the banking regulation or the energy sector regulation or the aviation sector regulation, if it goes that far, then we're possibly underestimating it. We're possibly under uh, saving for the moment when that stuff starts changing. But I think everyone's crossing their fingers and believing that there's some sense in the people who are making the decisions about this that they won't push it to its furthest point it can do, that there will be some Uh, business as usual policies that are just integrated into what the final deal looks like
1: yeah definitely in terms of impact i mean we already said people might well startups might look first to the united states for example well it's not there's still uh, a lower threshold to go to the uk even after brexit than there is to come to the us i mean think about the time zones, but also the paperwork, it will be considerably lower to go to the UK um, if you compare it to the paperwork that you would need to go to the US. So um, yeah, definitely we're maybe overreacting a little bit um, to some aspects of of, uh, Brexit, but it's better, I think a lot of people have um, this mentality to better be safe than sorry uh, when it comes to Brexit, um, because you don't want to be that a uh, service provider that um, wasn't prepared. Um, I mean, what
0: do you mean by um, be, uh, "better safe than sorry" in terms of Brexit?
1: Well, it, it's better to prepare for the worst, I guess. And, and we're in Belgium, so we're very risk-averse. Um, so we tend to maybe overreact when it comes to preparing for th- these kinds of risks. Um, so I, I would definitely say, even if the worst happens, I mean. Um, A lot of people are prepared, um, but the worst will probably not happen. Yeah, I I would go um, with
2: that. Um, And I think that's, as I said, what everyone's crossing their fingers for. But also, I think if you are a certain, I'll list out a couple of sectors of startups where I think they don't need to worry about it as much as I'm seeing from people coming and asking me as an individual. If you're a business that um, is providing software that is focused on um, business improvement, so you actually almost entirely operate online software as a service type of business then the amount that brexit is going to hit you is going to be very low if you think that the best thing to do to expand your sales abroad is to hire a person in country um, so you'd be hiring a british person in the uk a french person in france um the the difference that brexit is going to make to you is very little apart from maybe that you'll be trying to open up in a market that is dropping and there are obviously some things to watch out for there um also if so yeah if you're a business in that area i don't think you need to worry about it too much if you're in financial services then every time that you see um the the statistics for the london stock market yes the pound has dropped um but it's still it's kind of floated back up again to a, a a steady level for the moment um and it's proven even through some pretty big shocks over brexit that it's not dropping much further and it's found its its place which means that fintech services are probably fairly safe also to keep selling at the uk for the moment um again notwithstanding as peter said uh question over whether there's big um Economic crisis sitting on the horizon for all of us in Europe or, or globally, but um, fintech is, is never going to drop out of London. All you need to do is go to this area called Canary Wharf, which is the second financial area of London. I mean, which other European city do we know that has two financial areas to it? That's how big it
0: is. Well, talk about. An opportunity right because um, that was also gonna be my next question how can the UK still offer uh, opportunities to Belgian startups after Brexit
1: well definitely by starting out to give enough or sufficient guarantees towards incoming startups like okay this is what you can do we'll make it as easy as possible for incoming talent uh, to manage your business to have you know, maybe some um, exceptions in place specifically for new business coming in. Uh, Because we also saw in terms of investments uh, that there's been a drop of 90% in foreign um, direct investments in startups in in, in London specifically. Um, So there need to be more guarantees and the uncertainty needs to be eliminated. But I guess after Brexit, you know, that part will already be dealt with. So, uh, I'm actually quite optimistic um, in terms of opportunities. uh, Just because a lot of people over-prepared for Brexit, that means that there will be some space for...
0: Can you really over-prepare for Brexit, you think?
2: I think some people are spending too much legal money on it, given the lack of answers (laughs) that they get out of that spending.
1: Yeah, and again, if you have a competitor that spends millions maybe on, on, on preparing for the hardest possible Brexit and then maybe very soft Brexit happens, let's hope, um, then you might have a slight advantage over them. So I I think, again, uh, there there will be some opportunities popping up as well. um, Anywhere where there's a lack of investment over a period of time due to some uncertainty, afterwards there's gonna be um, an uplift, I guess.
2: Yeah can't really add much on that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um, diving deeper into the topic of the partnership with uh, BLCC and KBC London, um, Anna, what does it bring to the table and, you know, especially for startups and what role is started trying to play?
2: Yeah. So. Particularly in a country like Belgium, where we've got so many people who are very fluent in in English, it means that there's a lot of confidence in going to the UK as being one of the uh, first markets to internationalise to. Um, And even if it's not one of the first markets, it's definitely one of the ones that's on quick on the radar of where will I internationalise to? So, um, given that this program is all about helping startups scale, we really had to tackle the topic of what if you can't scale to one of the biggest economies uh, that you are planning to so the blcc is um, a chamber of commerce that's um, got all sorts of different uh, advisory services inside of it Um, it's got accountancy it's got legal hr services it helps you with understanding what your tax might look like for your specific circumstance when you move across borders Um, it helps you understand the landscape of uh, where might you want to start selling? Which are the regions that are really good for your industries? These kinds of things. So it's a fantastic organization for starting to answer the questions when you go, right, UK, that's a big country, 65 million people. Am I looking at London? Am I looking at Manchester? Am I looking at you know, which networks am I getting into? What kind of policies should I be looking at uh, educating myself in? is pretty much all the questions that a startup would be asking himself when they're starting to relocate, they have a way to start answering those. So in such a big thing as Brexit, pretty important to have them as, as being partners sitting
1: next to you.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Peter, how are you going to make use of, uh, of this partnership with your startup?
1: Well, um, we already have a few partners in the UK and um, definitely r- the UK and London has always been on our radar at some point to uh, do some decent business development there as well. So we'll definitely make use of any partners that we can find through uh, KBC started. Um, so yeah, um, it's on our radar. Yeah. So I look forward to it.
2: It'll be things like, so who are those people that are happy to take the slightly more risky visa uh, situations, they will have that in their network and they will have the knowledge and how to, uh, who do you need to, to see and which questions do you need to ask? For KBC London, they, are a group of people who obviously have that network of Belgians who are already based in, in the UK. We all know learning from other startups and other businesses is normally more useful than even uh, talking to a mentor who doesn't, hasn't been through those steps for quite a while. It might be 10, 20 years since they, they were going through the challenges that you were. So the great thing with KBC London is having that network of Belgians already living there who are already trying to, like you said, change up their passports, change up their driving licenses, uh, figure out their HR. And since they're going through it all themselves already, if you take the move um, after Brexit and go and chat to them, you've got a whole network already established
0: for you through them. So maybe to conclude this episode, do you have some final uh, pointers for people looking to expand? Uh, entrepreneurs looking to expand to the UK or uh, finding a way to deal with uh, the Brexit fuss?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's something we mentioned earlier as well. I mean, definitely make use of the right sources of information. So the governmental websites are the the, the key ones to look at. Um, Secondly, partners like the ones that um, KBC started, for example, offers are very helpful too. Talking to local startups uh, might give you a better idea as well of the impact. so preparation is key, I would say.
2: Yeah, so there's a couple of organizations I can point out. Um, one is called London and Partners. Um, they are very well established, well known for helping businesses in locating to the UK, specifically to London. Um, they come to every single event that you uh, hear about expats uh, moving to the UK. So they're a fantastic network as well, including of investors. Um, you've got the uh, DIT, that's the Department for Investment and Trade. Um, they are regularly events in Belgium to try and help people with questions that, are, as Peter said, the, they are the governmental department that is answering the international questions. Um, then you've got the BLCC we've already spoken about, KBC London we've already spoken about. And I think the main finishing point for me is don't take the fifth largest market. <laughs> off your checklist of places <laughs> to, to expand. We don't know enough answers yet to make that kind of decision. Okay.
0: Peter, anything to add?
1: No, uh, not really. Maybe uh, with Planner.eu, we also have the ambition to have uh, a setup. We have a self-help tool for expats to deal with their relocation as well. Um, and we've made the, we or at least we have the ambition to uh, configure a post-Brexit move to the UK um, setup for our uh, uh, platform as well. Dus so, definitief na Brexit, brexit, a look naar onze platform. Ik denk dat het voor je helpt.
0: Oké, dan wil ik beide bedanken. En dan zit er weer al een nieuwe episode van de podcast op. In ieder geval nog vragen hebben voor Anne of uh, Pieter over brexit en hoe dat zij dit precies aanpakken, dan uh, mag je een altijd een berichtje sturen. En ik hoop dat je ook naar de volgende podcast luistert. See you soon. We started a KBC Podcast.
2: This podcast is made possible thanks to our strategic partners, KBC, Telenet, the Kronos Group, Accenture, Mobile Vikings, Flanders DC, JOIN, IMAC, and the University of Antwerp.